0: I want to start tonight, I'm going to do a message on Pentecost, Uh, as I said I was going to this morning, but I want to start tonight in Psalm 119, Psalm 119 is where we're going to begin this evening and we're going to look at uh, several passages of Scripture tonight and uh, I'll be reading some lengthy portions and I want to encourage you to open them in your Bible or on your app and, and just have the Word of God before you and follow along as I read through them. Uh, don't just wander off into outer space. Don't just, you know, kind of check out and, uh, you know, check back in in 30 minutes or whatever. Let, let's stay focused, especially especially when the Word of God is being read. I can't tell you how many times... That I've been uh, sitting in a, a church service and uh, the word of God was being read, and I was reading it as well. And, and all of a sudden, the Lord just showed me something I had never seen before, and it's always been in there. Uh, but somehow, He revealed something new to me, and, and I, I'm praying that the Lord will show us something new about Him. You know, God is infinite. There's no limit to our God. There's no, uh, you know, he's not confined anywhere. And so even as we are, are even our understanding of God is limited, but he is limit, limitless. And as we come to his word, it's not just page, words on a page, but it's that we might know him. That he might reveal himself to us and that we would know him in a closer and more intimate way. And so, as we read these passages, I encourage you. Let, let's stay engaged, and encourage you to read along with me. And that goes for the kids as well. You have your Bibles tonight, kids. You're looking guilty. If you don't, you better find one. I'm going to do sword drills and make you all come up here and read one by. No, I'm not going to do that. But I might. Uh, So anyway, Psalm 119 is where we're going to start. Why don't we just pray? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you uh, for your work of salvation in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you have set us free. We have been set free tonight. We are not bound in sin. We are not bound by the devil. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to destroy the works of the devil and that his work in our life has been obliterated because of your work on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that you have set us free so that we might serve you and that we might worship you. Lord, help us tonight to see what freedom and true freedom looks like and that we might walk in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Psalm 119, I'm going to start in verse 89. We're just going to read several verses here in Psalm 119. Verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens, and your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And then 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now it might seem strange to you that I would open a sermon about Pentecost with a passage from Psalm 119, about God's law, but tonight I want to help you understand why that is not strange at all. Pentecost, we read about it in Acts chapter 2. We can flip over to Acts chapter 2. We're going to, again, be looking at several passages of Scripture. Pentecost was one of three high holy days, high holidays, that the people of Israel, the Jewish people, would celebrate that, that required every able-bodied man, every able-bodied Jewish man, to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate that holiday. And we see that on this day of Pentecost, God does something amazing. He pours out His Spirit... Upon his church. Now, if you look at Acts chapter 1, Jesus had made a promise that he would do just that. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, While staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said you heard from me that John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now In verse 6 it says so when they had come together they asked him lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to israel the disciples are ready to just wrap this thing up jesus you've you've come you've died you've risen again you're the king of kings you're the lord of lords you're the messiah you're the king of Israel. Right, let's just wrap this thing up. Let's just move on into the, the eschaton, the, 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 the eternal state. Here we go. Is it now? Is it is now when you're going to wrap up all human history? They're ready to go. And funnily enough, most Christians today are in the same boat. Ready to go. Ready to... Let's wrap this thing up. Can't wait to get to heaven. What does Jesus tell them? It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Let me translate for you what that says. It's none of your business. Or as we used to say when I was my kid's age, it's none of your beeswax. I have no idea what that means. Jesus says that's, that's the Father's domain. That, that's, that's for him to decide. It, it's not of your concern. It's above your pay grade. And, and so they're, they're ready to wrap it up. They're ready to just move it on. They're ready to just move into the eternal state. Jesus says that's up to the Father. And he has fixed it by his own authority. Verse 8, but he redirects them, redirects them from 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 wanting to escape into eternity to their mission here on earth. Verse 8, he says, but you, contrasting with what they were talking about, but, contrasting statement, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I want you to wait in Jerusalem, the promise of the Father. I'm going to pour it out upon you. And when I do, you will receive power. Of course, we know that's the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite. It's not just a a little power. It's not like a double-A power or a nine-volt power. This is explosive power that comes upon the believer that's going to come upon the church when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. But notice here that the power isn't just to, to be... Uh, uh, out of control it's, it's not for just any reason it's, it's actually meant to be focused on a mission focused on a purpose you will be my witnesses he says yes you will receive power but the power is to be witnesses for Christ that's what the power of the Holy Spirit is for amen so that we might be witnesses in this world This world that is dark and in need of light, this world that is decaying and in need of preservation, salt. How are we going to do this? How are we going to stand in these evil days? How are we going to remain faithful to Christ in this dark world and in these dark times? It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that Peter... Before this moment, when he was questioned, you know, named as one of Jesus' disciples, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Didn't I see you with Jesus in the garden tonight? What does what Peter do in his own power, in his own strength? Is he able to stand for Christ and to be a witness for Christ in his own strength? No, of course not. Of course not. He denies Christ and he denies Christ three times. Not not before kings and rulers, but before servant girls. So that in our own strength, we cannot stand and be witnesses for Christ. As, As Pastor Terry quoted tonight, from John chapter 15, Jesus said, Without me, you can do some things. You can do great things. You can do most things. No, what? Without me, you can do... Nothing. Nothing. We must rest upon the power of Christ. Moment by moment, day by day. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. I don't know if you know this, but the Greek word there for witnesses is literally the word martyr. It's where we get our English word martyr from. You will be my martyrs, Jesus says. I don't think there was a whole lot of amens going around. And notice here where. They're to be in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. To start start where you're at. Start in your hometown and that it would grow and grow and expand to the ends of the earth. It is a global mission. Of course, we know the Great Commission where Jesus, before he ascended in this same speech recorded in a different gospel where Jesus says that you are to go and to disciple the nations. The nations. To be my witnesses among the nations. And to teach them, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all, Jesus says that I have commanded. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, the Christian faith is always an outward facing faith. When the church becomes so focused on the church and not the world, we've, we've lost it. We've lost it. It's about the world, it's about the nations, it's about what happens out there. It's not about what happens in here. Yes, this is important. Yes, we come and worship God. And yes, I'm so thankful that He meets with us when we gather. But he, we gather in His name and he, we feel His presence and we're equipped with His word for what? To go out and to bear fruit and to bring in the harvest and to live in the power of the Spirit. And to stand for Christ in this evil day. Not to hide our lights. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to the nations. As they're looking on, Jesus is carried up into heaven. Now, that was 40 days after he had risen, that he ascended. It tells us that in verse 3. And then 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, we read in chapter 2, verse 1 of the book of Acts, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting In his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And here Luke records for us the the nations that were gathered there that day. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. And even, he says, visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes were were Gentiles that had converted to the, the worship of Yahweh, the worship of the true and living God. They serve the Lord. Gentiles who serve the Lord. Cretans, he says, and Arabians. L- literally, from, from every nation. All the nations were, were gathered there on that day. And here's what they say. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and said, they are filled with new wine, i.e., they are drunk. How amazing that would have been. How amazing that would have been to have been there on that day where God poured out His Spirit and His Spirit overflowed in their life to such a degree that they began to preach and to proclaim, it says, the mighty works of God. But to do so in the native language of everybody that was gathered that day. How amazing. How amazing. This, this would be like the, at the United Nations Summit the Holy Spirit breaking out and, and, and giving to the church the languages of every nation there and, and that, that the people, the, the church just begins to preach and to proclaim the gospel in, in all of these people's languages. That would be so shocking. It would create such a commotion. It would get people's attention. People would say, what is going on? What does this mean? What is all of this about? That's exactly what happened on this day in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to understand that the timing of this was not an accident. This wasn't happenstance. This wasn't just a happy accident that this happened on Pentecost. Again, as I said, it was one of the three high holy days that the Jews would travel to Jerusalem once a year to celebrate. In the Old Testament, we see that this celebration is called Shavuot. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Taki can correct me tomorrow. But Shavuot, Shavat, or the Feast of Weeks, called the Feast of Weeks because it's seven sevens, seven days, seven weeks of seven days, starting the next day. So fifty days. That's why it's called Pentecost, because fifty uh, Pentecost means fifty. And it was 50 days. It was called this Feast of Weeks or Pentecost because it was 50 days after what? Passover. 50 days after Passover. That's why it was called Pentecost because it was this celebration that would take place 50 days after the Passover. Now again, God could have chosen any day he wanted on the calendar to birth his church. But he specifically chose this day. And not only did God choose this day on purpose, but hear this. He wanted us to know that he chose this day on purpose. He didn't have to tell us that it was Pentecost, that it was the day that he poured out his spirit. But he did tell us. Specifically make note of it. Put it in his word. So that we would know that he had chosen this day as the day to pour out his spirit. And I would submit to you that what is happening here on this Pentecost is related to the Jewish celebration of Pentecost. Truly you could say that this day or what happens on this day is the fulfillment of the Jewish celebration of Pentecost. In a similar way, we look at Passover. Passover, of course, we look in the Old Testament, we look in Exodus, and we see the, the Passover. We see the Passover lamb. We see that it, it had to be a lamb without blemish. It had to be spotless. That its blood would be, uh, uh, that the lamb would be slain, that the blood would be spilled, and that the, the Jewish people were to apply the blood to the doorpost of their home, and that God would pass over their sins on the homes and the houses that had the blood applied. And then we get into the New Testament and we discover that that Passover is pointing to something beyond it. that, That the cross of Christ is truly the fulfillment of Passover. That what was happening at Passover was pointing to Christ. That what Christ did as the Lamb of God by taking away our sins that God uh, uh, passes over our sins because we have had the blood applied to our lives. In in the same way and in a similar way that, that Christ, it wasn't a coincidence that Jesus died on Passover as the Passover lamb and indeed what he was doing was the fulfillment of Passover. In the same way you can say that God pouring out his spirit on the church was what Pentecost had been pointing to all along. That this celebration that the Jews had celebrated every year, 50 days after the Passover, that this celebration was pointing to this moment that had its fulfillment, that was the fulfillment of Pentecost. So then the question arises, what was Pentecost a celebration of? As I told you, we celebrate Pentecost as the birthday of the church. But again, this wasn't what they were celebrating in the book of Exodus. They were not celebrating the birthday of the church. They were celebrating something else. Back in the book of Exodus. We read about it in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20. Let's turn there quickly. This is 50 days after God had set his people free from slavery in Egypt. You'll recall that God's people were enslaved in Egypt. That they cried out for deliverance and God raised up a deliverer, Moses, who went and proclaimed to Pharaoh, what? Let my people go. Let my people go. Proclaiming as a mouthpiece of God, as a prophet. Do you remember what it was? It wasn't just let my people go. So that they can just, you know, have a good time out in the wilderness. No, what was it? What was the rest of that statement? Let my people go so that they can worship me. So that they can serve me or worship me. So so God's work of salvation, of, of redeeming his people, setting them free from the bondage of Egypt, was to bring them out... ...from bondage so that they might worship and serve him. And 50 days after the Passover, God leads them to Mount Sinai... ...where he appears to the nation in a cloud and fire on the mountain. And all of Exodus 19 tells the story, but I want to I just start here in verse 16... It says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand in front of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And and chapter 20, we, we have here in our Bible these chapter and verse divisions which are artificial. Those are put in the text. The text continues that here now God spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God, visiting iniquity on the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of generations or to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments." And here, here he goes, he, he walks through the, these Ten Commandments. We know this is the Ten Commandments. The giving of the, the law, the giving of the Torah. In verse 18, after, after God had given Moses the, this law, this Torah, these Ten Commandments, It says, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashings and the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, was the celebration of the giving of God's law. That's what Pentecost was. And for thousands of years, God's people had gathered in Jerusalem on this day, 50 days after Passover, to celebrate the giving of his law. That's what the people were doing there that day that God poured out his spirit. Now, in Exodus, I want you to think here for a minute. What kind of people was God giving his law to? What kind of people? Were they an enslaved people or were they a free people? They were a free people. God had just set them free, right? He had just set them free from Egypt. They have been set free so that they might worship God. The law was given to a free people. Not to, hear me in this, not to bring them back into bondage, but to show them how to live in freedom. The law was not given to people to bring them under tyranny. They had just been set free from tyranny. They had just been set free from Egypt, just been set free from Pharaoh. The law teaches a free people. God's law teaches. The Torah teaches a free people how to live free and how to stay free. And true freedom, hear this. Remember Moses, let my people go so that they might serve me and worship me. True freedom is the ability to live under The rule and reign of God. Not having to live under the tyranny of man. That is true freedom. True freedom is the ability to love God, to serve God, to worship God, to to live as part of the kingdom of God, under the rule and reign of God. And to not have that freedom to worship and to serve God inhibited or limited by evil taskmasters and tyrannous leaders. That is true freedom. They were under the tyranny of Pharaoh, the tyranny of Egypt. Many places today it was mentioned North Korea. That's the tyranny of the state. God's people who want to worship Him, who who risk their lives to own a copy of the Bible, they are not free to worship God. I read that story this week. Not only was was the the, the parents sentenced to life in prison, but they had a two-year-old child who was sentenced to life in prison. True freedom is the ability to serve God and worship Him. And hear this, obey His law. That is true freedom. To not have our our worship of God, our service of God, limited by the tyranny of the state, or in our day, collectivist man, enlarged. So, God gives them his law. He gives them his word. He, he gives them his constitution, if you will. And in this constitution, which is the most, the most brilliant constitution that has ever been devised, is the law of God. It sets up God as the ultimate authority. God is the ultimate authority, God is the lawgiver. And it even says in this constitution that when you appoint a king, it's not the king's job to make the laws, but the king's job to enforce God's law. Because even the king is to be judged by God's law. This is a revolutionary idea. That God reigns supreme over all through his law and through his word. Never before this was pinned had there ever been anything any idea of this ever in the history of man in their day and even in our day as as our nation and the West moves away from our Christian foundation, we revert to tyranny. we revert to coercion by the state, we revert to this might-makes-right mentality so that there are those who want to use the power of the state to restrict our freedom to worship God. In Canada today, you cannot... It is a, it is a, it is a, a federal offense... To preach what the Bible says about human sexuality. The message I preached this morning. Could put me in jail for up to five years in Canada. It's written into their law. Bill C-4. Aptly named. Because it blows up their whole. Constitution. True freedom is the ability to live under God's rule and reign. And so Pentecost was a holiday 50 days after Passover that was the celebration of the giving of God's law to his covenant people, showing them how to live free. And there's only 10 commandments in there. The the rest of, of the Torah is actually an explanation of those Ten Commandments. It's actually practical application. What does it look like to live these Ten Commandments out? So let's go on to Pentecost under the New Covenant, which is what we are all celebrating here today. Back to Acts chapter 2. That was my little detour, my brief detour. Acts chapter 2. Pentecost under the new covenant. I've heard heard this said, and and I, I utterly reject this. I've heard it said that God poured out his spirit on Pentecost so that he would set aside his law and that now we live by the spirit. That the law of God was bondage, but now we are set free to live by the power of the spirit. I've heard Christians say that that we now set aside the law of God and now we follow just the leading of the Holy Spirit. And what this does, that teaching, which I wholeheartedly reject as false teaching, what that does is it sets God's law in conflict with God's Spirit, which is is utterly nonsense. God is not confused. God is not conflicted. The, The same Holy Spirit that inspired the, the words to be written in the Torah is the same spirit that was poured out upon the church that day at Pentecost. There's no conflict there. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, what is happening here at Pentecost is what the prophet Jeremiah prophesied about in Jeremiah chapter 31. Flip back there with me quickly to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. I know I've been kind of all over the place. I'm about to pull it all together, okay? I'm about to land this plane for you. Hold on, it might get bumpy. We might have some turbulence as we come in for landing, but we are gonna land this plane. Jeremiah 31, what God was doing on the day of Pentecost, pouring out his spirit upon his church is the fulfillment of, of what he said here in Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Remember what Jesus said on on the night they celebrated Passover, the Last Supper? What did he say when he served them uh, the Lord's Supper? He said, this is the what? The new covenant. In my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. That, that through the work of Christ, God has made a new covenant with his people. So he says, he prophesied through Jeremiah that there are, there's days coming when I will make a new covenant with my people, the house of Israel, the house of Judah. Verse 32, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. It's not going to be like that covenant, he says. He says, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And here it is, right here. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. In the new covenant, through the outpouring of God's Spirit, where in the old covenant, the, the law was written on what? Tablets of stone. In this new covenant, having been set free by the work of Christ, having our sins forgiven, He now, through the power of His Spirit, writes His law where? On our hearts. So that under the old covenant there was this external pressure from the outside to keep God's law. Written on tablets of stone with neighbors saying to one another, Serve the Lord, know the Lord, follow the Lord. But under the new covenant we all know Him. He has put His Spirit in our hearts. And He is writing His law upon our hearts. So I don't have to go around to you and say, know the Lord, serve the Lord. You have now this internal leading of God's spirit leading you to love and to serve God. Not external pressure, but a change of our hearts. So the giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost does not negate God's law but rather changes our hearts so that we now love God's law. And the power of God's Spirit enables us to keep God's law. What we could not do in the flesh, and he references this here in the old covenant, they broke that covenant. They could not do it in the power of the flesh. It is now made possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul in Romans chapter 8 talks about this. I, just, I don't have time to comment on it, but I want to read it here quickly. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that, the hear this, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not, hear this, it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, the the people of God filled with the Spirit of God, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Through the power of the spirit of God, his law is written upon our hearts that we might know him, that we might love him, that we might have fellowship with him and that we might follow him and obey him and keep his law. That's what God was doing on Pentecost. Changing hearts, transforming lives. And just as the law under the old covenant was given to a people who had been set free, so the spirit who writes God's law on our hearts is also given to a people who have been set free. We have been set free. What have we been set free from? We've been set free from sin, which is what? Lawlessness. We're not set free of lawlessness to go back into lawlessness, but we've been set free and filled with the Spirit that we might live for Christ. And in doing so, we will be witnesses to the world around us. Now, I briefly want to make mention here in closing today about the languages that are spoken. God gives them other tongues, other languages. The people there hear them speaking in their own tongues, different known languages to the world at that time. They're not praying in some unknown prayer language, which I'm all for and 100% behind, but that's not what's happening here. These are known earthly languages. And what this is saying here is this is just another way that God is pointing the church to the fact that the new covenant is not an ethnocentric covenant. It's not a, a, a Jewish-centered covenant. It's not uh, confined. The new covenant's not confined to the Jewish people. But the new covenant is now for all the nations of the earth. So that he even puts the languages of the nations in the mouths of his people. So that they might go forth into the nations declaring the word of God. Declaring the gospel of God. That's what's happening here on Pentecost. Pentecost has the nations in mind. That the new covenant is for all the nations of the world. That they are to go out and they are to teach the nations to obey all that Christ has commanded. Where? In his word and in his law. To take God's law and gospel to the nations and the power of the Spirit, expanding God's rule, expanding God's reign, expanding God's kingdom. And this did not put the people in bondage, but it's how we walk and live in freedom. Obeying God's law is how we live in freedom. Freedom freedom from sin and bondage and brokenness. And that God is changing our hearts by the power of his spirit so that we might declare like the psalmist in Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I'm going to close by reading a passage from Isaiah 42. Speaking of the work of the Messiah, the Christ. Isaiah says this, he says, Behold my servant who I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Speaking of of Christ. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Oh, don't we need justice in our nation? He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. This is such good news for us today. What this says is that though there may only be embers left burning, he will not put the fire out. Th- though there, there may have been great revivals and great fires that have burned in our nation, and though, though those, that love for God may have grown cold and it may seem that there's only a few embers left burning, it says that he will not extinguish the fire. But it says, in contrast to that, of a faintly burning wick, he will not quench. Instead, he will faithfully bring forth justice. What this means is that, that though things may get dark, God has promised that he will one day bring justice, his law, his word. And then verse four, this promise, he will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for. His law. Listen, the work of the church is to take the law of God to the coastlands that are waiting for it. And that through the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, the rule and the reign of Christ, the kingdom of God, that God is establishing and will establish justice in the earth and he won't get tired doing it. Though we may get tired, though we may be like the disciples and say, you ready to wrap this thing up, God? He says that he will not be done until the coastlands have his law, till every nation, tribe, and tongue have heard the good news of the gospel. And the power of the Spirit is to go and to proclaim that gospel and not bend, and not bow, and not cower, and not be afraid, but to be bold, because we serve the God who walked out of that grave. Amen? Amen. Who has given us life and new life, and who has given us a new heart and transformed our lives, and rescued us from the pit of destruction. Why would we be ashamed to those wallowing in the mud about the God who's rescued us from the mud? from the pit. Why would we ever be ashamed of that? Why would we ever be ashamed to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the culture that is drowning about the God who rescued us from our sin and drowning in sin? Why would we ever be ashamed? We must walk in the power of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with me this evening. Father, we thank you for the power of your spirit. Lord, this is a promise, the promise of the Father for all who believe in you. Lord, that that you are writing your law upon our hearts. Lord, in the Exodus, we, we read about the fire that burned on the mountain. But in the book of Acts, we read about the fire that burned over each believer that your spirit, Lord, is not out there somewhere, but it's in here, that our very bodies are the temple of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to, to, to love you and to serve you and to walk in the power of your spirit, being faithful witnesses for you, shining your light, not being afraid, but being bold, not being ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Help us, Lord, to be faithful witnesses in these dark days and to shine brighter and brighter. Lord, that we would not become discouraged in well-doing, but that we would be encouraged because we know that there is a harvest coming. And Lord, we pray, just Lord, joining our prayers again with our prayer time today, Lord, that the fires of revival would burn through our land. Lord, that you would take the the coals, the embers, Lord, this, this fire that at times seems to have waned so much, Lord, that you would fan it into flame, And Lord, that you would start here with us. Lord, that you would revive our hearts and that our hearts would burn for you and that we would be impassioned and emboldened through the power of your spirit as we commune with you and fellowship with you and know you and follow you and love you and serve you. Lord, thank you for setting us free from the work of the enemy and that you have set us free that we might live in the power of your spirit and live for you. We do it all for the glory of your name and the glory of your son, and we pray your kingdom come and your will be will be done in San Antonio, in Fredericksburg, on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Amen.